All right, so just a couple of quick announcements just to mention. The men's conference, um, I think Brian finally settled on a, a venue. Um, and uh, it's actually up and going to be in Excelsior Springs. There's a, a conference center up there called, well, I don't know, it used to be called Lake Donovan, but I don't know what it's called today. I don't remember at the moment. But anyway, if you want to go, you can register online. It's, uh, <laughs> you should not run in those field boots. That's Anyway, the men's conference, um, November 5th and 6th, and, um, or, I'm sorry, 4th and 5th, 4th and 5th, and, um, I don't know a lot of the details, I don't know who the main speaker is or anything like that, or probably Brian, but I don't know for sure. Um, and then the next thing on the list is the next time we clean is, uh, is October 29th, so that's the end of this month. Uh, I think it shouldn't con con conflict with anything else on the calendar, I don't think. It's cold. It's just so Are you cold? Well, turn it down. What is it? want to mention, and I was kind of hoping they would be here, Bob and Sharon both can just continue to pray for them, and um, I think Julie probably has more information on them than I do. Uh, Sharon wasn't able to go to get the stent taken out. Uh, she had the, she had the, where they sat, the uh, kidney stone, you know, the kind of like shock. have on here Bob Klein continue praying for him as he's dealing with his situation and then I, I didn't realize but Bud Crust is having knee surgery as well doesn't have a schedule sounds like from talking to him this morning that that uh, they're just kind of giving him the runaround so just uh, pray for all of the details that are that are going on with him and get his get his knee taken care of um, and then uh, I mentioned on here a couple of mission trip opportunities. Uh, the trip to Oaxaca, which is in November, um, I don't remember the dates on it, but uh, you can talk, if anybody's interested in going to Mexico, to the, the Hendricksmans, uh, you can talk with Mitch, Mitch Newland, he's leading the team, and he could use some more people to go. And then, um, uh, I think the I think the trip to Mammoth is fairly well 
staff, but I'm not, I'm not sure about that with uh, Ray Flower taking that trip, of taking that team to the mama. Those two things going on. And there's some ministry service opportunities, which I think is in the bulletin, maybe, maybe not, but they do need help. Um, uh, if anybody's interested in kind of help, uh, Catherine Weekland oversee the library. Um, people check books in and out, actually more than you probably realize. And so she she could use some help. She's got some things going on. She's going to be out for a while. She could. She's asking for somebody to step in and help fill in, just take care of things. And then Heather Borntrigger needs some help in the resource center. And then Lance uh, could probably use some more ushers, greeters, and uh, somebody to kind of staff the connections counter. Those three things from under Lance. And keep those things in mind. Um, and then Brian likes to also pass along some announcement type things too. So let me see what he's got here. Um, most everything I've probably covered. I do want to mention Kevin Thompson is getting his hip replaced this week on the on the fourth, and Dottie Bartlett is asking repair for foot surgery, but I don't know any details on that. And then. Um, One thing that, so, you know, we had our Bible conference early, a couple weeks ago now, by now, or a couple Sundays ago, and I was trying to raise some money to, to uh, uh, buy a new cutter, and so far we've raised $63,900. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So, that's a, that's, a, that's a big blessing, so, um, so now we got to, you know, make the next steps, figure out what, make the order, and all that kind of stuff. I am going to probably sell our current, current cutter, and I have a, I have a, well, is not as much as I was hoping as, as an offer, but it's, it's still an offer, and I'll probably sell it for that. Maybe the word got out of that. So anyway, so that's, uh, that was really, that's a blessing, that, that money can come in. Um, so that's everything as far as announcements are concerned. Um, Wendy, I have a prayer request. Yes. Um, and this is just for our class. It's not on the uh, prayer list, not on the prayer change, simply because my mom does not know. But my brother spent a week in the hospital early in September. Uh, he, you know, he had just finished 45 radiation treatments just a few weeks before. He went to the hospital with severe abdominal pain, and they figured out quickly that it was his gallbladder. But in finding that, they found he has a mass on his kidney. And, um, this is your brother? My brother. Um, they also found, while he was there, um, he had had this lump on his leg, and he had talked to his doctor about it before, and it is a sarcoma that's quite large. Mm. They don't know if they can treat it without removing his leg. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's in it's in the muscle. They are hoping it's not gone into the bone. But on Friday, he had a lot more scans to see where these cancers have gone. Scans of his brain, of his lung, of his liver. Wow. So if they if you would just continue to pray for them, mm-hmm. they would really they are troopers. They are in good spirits, but it's just it's really a lot. Wow. Yeah, it is a lot. 
we'd see the results of those scans. I'm not sure, this next week, the, the kidney doctor had told him he had a tiny spot in his kidney when he had, before he had his prostate mm -hmm. um, radiation. But evidently it was significantly larger. And as my sister-in-law said, she said she was watching it, but I guess she's just watching it grow, I don't know. <sighs> and they, they already talked to him about the same procedure that Gwen had. That they would take biopsies and at the same time cry over like that. But um, I hope it doesn't come. No, it doesn't come. What is his name? Dale. Dale. They live in Drexel. Okay, well, we'll put him on the prayer list. Um, let's turn over to John chapter 4. Let's read the first 12 verses there, and then we'll pray. John 4, verses 1 to 2, verses 1 to 12. And therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made him baptize more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then come on, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, said, or sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a, a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away from unto the city by me. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee the living water. Woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? In verse 12, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the uh, the opportunity to be here back in church again, and we praise you for for that. And uh, Lord, we we do lift up uh, names that we mentioned in class today. We mentioned um, uh, Kevin Thompson and Dottie Bartlett who are having surgery, and and uh, we pray, Father, for uh, 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 Bud Crust who's got to get his knee uh, operated on and the. the the uh, confusion and the, the com compounding complexities of his insurance, Lord, I pray that you would just work all those details out so he can just get the surgery and get his knee back, get his knee replaced so he can be back uh, doing the things that he needs to be doing. We want to pray for Dale, uh, Betty's brother, Lord, with the situation that he has. It's just uh, complexities upon complexities. Lord, you know the, you know the body, the, the human body, you designed it. We ask, Father, for you, your hand to be involved with his treatments and the research that they're doing to try to figure out how to approach a treatment plan and just take care of that and take care of their family and uh, 
uh, we pray, Father, that whatever they do have to do, Lord, would be uh, uh, a positive step for his recovery. And Father, we pray, Father, that you would always use our church to help identify the people like this woman in Samaria, Lord, who, who is asking about this gift of God. And Lord, uh, we have the ability to share the gift of God, which is uh, eternal life, by communicating that to others. We ask, Father, that you give us wisdom to speak, give us the ability to speak, and the uh, boldness to speak uh, when we have those opportunities. And we just thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Father, we conclude in prayer. We're again thankful that we can come boldly before the throne of God and we can petition you. We can set down at your feet, Lord, the things that are heavy on our hearts and the things that we desire to see improved. And we ask, Father, for you to to um, just hear our prayers, to respond to our prayers. And Lord, we ask, pray that even things that we didn't pray for, Lord, that, that you would just show yourself victorious in in so many different lives and so many different ways. And we just give you the honor and the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're um, we're the last couple of weeks. Uh, we'll see the, the Sunday after uh, Bible conference. I was pretty much um, exhausted, and Jeremy filled in for me on the 18th. I believe it was the 18th, and then last week because I had COVID, and I had already planned to have uh, Brady Barnes. I haven't even talked to him. I hope it went well, uh, but I had Brady Barnes speak. Um, while I was out with COVID, and uh, we're both fine now. By the way, we tested negative um, last week, and so or, I don't know what day it was, but midweek when it was. So, um, but it was, I appreciate both you and uh, um, Brady stepping in to fill the pulpit. And uh, I really wanted to be here for Brady uh, because you know, as a, as a recent graduate from HBI, I just wanted to see how well he was, how he did. Maybe another time I'll have him come back again uh, and see. So anyway, we're you know we've been talking. I've been three or four weeks before we started a series. What I call marks of maturity, uh, char- the, the characteristic marks of a, of a mature Christian believer. And so we're going going through those. We're really on the third one right now this morning. And it's what I call a powerful or productive private life. And uh, so it's a that thing just makes all kinds of noise, isn't it? I think we need to get a new one. So anyway, so let me just start with this. Uh, everybody's aware. Everybody knows what happened in Florida this past week. 
They were hammered by one of the worst hurricanes to hit the USA in many, many years. I don't know, they always say those kind of things anyway, but it was a bad hurricane, and they're, they're struggling through it. Um, but, but you know, Florida Florida's an interesting state. It's, it's, it has another problem other than just getting hurricanes, which is fairly common. I mean, that's just, you know, you think Midwest, you think tornadoes, you think Florida, you think hurricanes. Um, but they, Florida is, is, the, is the, the state in the United States that has the most sinkholes of any state. The most sinkholes. Um, and so the sinkhole, I'm kind of st starting with that as an example of the lack of a bedrock mark of maturity that every Christian needs to have. Every Christian should develop. Uh, and that is that every Christian should build into their life without, uh, without this mark uh, they, their life becomes a sinkhole. That's how serious this mark is that we're going to talk about. So I just want to read Luke chapter 6, verses 48 and 49, kind of as, uh, just as a, a thinking, because Jesus Christ said the same type of thing, talking about uh, this. He said in, verse, in Luke 6, 48, He is like a man who built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood came, arose and the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. That's important, founded on a rock. Then in verse 49 he says, But, a contrast, he that, beareth, or he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation build a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat, did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So, if our life is founded on a sinkhole or shifting sand, as Jesus Christ spoke about, our spiritual life will lose its foundation and be replaced by an under underlying turmoil, fatigue, frustration, mismanagement, and so on. Eventually, what's going to happen is that Christian is going to cave in from the inability to be occupied with the Lord and His sufficiency. They're going to they're going to, they're going to miss out on what God has given them. So turn over to Psalm chapter forty-six. We're going to. Kind of start with this again, but we're gonna we're gonna be in a few other places as well. But Psalm chapter forty-six. I'm not gonna read the whole passage, but um, just the first four verses. This God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we uh, therefore will not we fear. Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, which means rest, there is a river and streams whereof shall make glad in the city of God in the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. And so the point of all of this is this passage points us to God's security and God's protection. And we, if you... Now look at verses 7 and 11. Notice they basically say the same type of thing. Verse 7 in Psalm 46, The Lord of hosts is with us. And if you drop down to verse 11, The Lord of hosts is with us. Now that's a key concept that a Christian needs to understand. The Lord of hosts is with us at every turn and every circumstance, every situation. So you're, you're a believer and you have Christ in you. Yeah, the Holy Spirit has taken up residency in you. There's no way for you, there's no possible way for you to get rid of or get away from God. He is constantly there. The Lord of hosts is with us. And then if you look at verse 10, 
Verse 10 says something else that's, that's very significant that kind of ties with all of this that we're, where we're going. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The problem that most Christians don't, rec- don't do is they aren't still enough. They don't get still with God. They just, they just do things that they want. So what this mark is that provides a bedrock of stability as well as an essential underlying strength and necessity to say, what is it? It's simply having a private personal life, a powerful private life, your time with the Lord. And let me just say it this way. We never know and focus on God as our strength and fortress, and we never experience Him as our bedrock unless, we'll never experience Him that way unless we take time to get still with the Lord in prayer and in Bible study. We will not be able to focus the heart and mind on the Lord if we aren't still with God. We need that time to be still. Now, a private private prayer life refers to a believer's inner life nourished up by the springs of the Spirit of God and the Word of God in prayer. So we have to have these things and we have to be still in order for this to to impact our life. Our life is more productive when we spread our roots deeply into the streams of the Word of God through quiet, meditative study and prayer. Only then will we become truly productive and truly authentic in in public. So what we do in private affects what we do in the public. What we do in private affects how people see us. Psalms chapter 1 verse 3 says, And he shall be like a river, like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So the emphasis on one's private life, or as many people like to use the term, uh, our quiet time. So this is, this is really more what we typically would, would use the term quiet time. What's your quiet time? Uh, what, what, how is your quiet time? This is, do you have a quiet time would be a good question as well. So we do not in ourselves possess. This is, this is part of the problem with most spiritual believers or most Christians don't recognize this. We do not have in ourselves, we don't possess the spiritual resources that we need to direct our path or to find the strength and wisdom we need to handle life. We don't possess the ability within us to do what we need to do in life. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Man can't direct his steps. The only thing that man can do is get with God and, and lean on God and strengthen himself from God. Jesus Christ, so these are three truths. That's the first truth that we do not in ourselves possess the spiritual resources that we need. The second truth is that Jesus Christ desires to be at home in our life and desires to bring order into our private life, our private world, uh, to adjust our attitudes, to adjust our thinking, to adjust our priorities and our goals and our sources of trust. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, so the indwelling, number three, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was given by the Lord to strengthen and fortify our inner person with his might as a stream of living water. That the, the water, the, the Spirit of God is, is likened to water, flowing water. And then if you back up one verse in Ephesians 3.16, Paul says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, 
to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Being in the inner man is the same thing as being in your private time. That's, that's, that's really where that happens. So scripture really makes it clear that if we neglect our private life, we neglect our private life with God, our inner man will simply not be able to sustain the weight and the pressures of life. You can't, as much as you think you're strong, and a lot of people think they are stronger and they can handle it, they don't They don't need to, to take time and get with God and be silent, be still and all that. They don't have time, they don't want to take the time, they don't want to invest that time. But what happens is, if without doing it, uh, you're not able to sustain the weight and the pressures of life. It just it doesn't work. So if the inner man is not supported by the bedrock of fellowship with God, so then we come to how do we come to know Him more and more deeply? If we're not if we don't invest this time, we're never going to get closer to God. We're never going to understand who God is. So it's it's going to be undermined by the shallow waters of secular and destructive currents of the world. And our inner life will simply not be able to sustain us in the pressures and the dry periods of our life. We need this time. We need this refreshing. So here's an important question that we need to ask ourselves. What is a private, what is a powerful private life? What is a powerful quiet time? What does that look like? How do we develop that? So that's kind of where I'm going to go with this, 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 this mark of a mature believer. What, does, what needs to take place in your personal time with God? What needs to take place? I mean, okay, so some people, like, I'm not a big person when it comes to the concept of meditation. I'm not a meditator. I don't, I don't know how to meditate. Sometimes I don't even know how to think. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing, but let me give you some things, some, some guidelines here. Six areas that may be overlooked in private time that are, that if you just started... If you just take these six things, I've got them grouped in twos, but if you take them and, and kind of compare your personal, private, quiet time with God, do you do these things? This will give you some guidance. First, you need a place for refocus and renewal. Private time should be a place where you refocus upon the living God away from the clutter of life to get to know God more intimately. So you, you so are you does does your time with God does it when you come out of that time when you when you you put your book down your notes or whatever and you go get that cup of coffee uh, or you go to bed depending on if you're morning or night uh, quiet time uh, do you feel do you feel that you have refocused and renewed yourself because it should be a place to get still and to renew our knowledge of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This describes God. So this is the kind of thing you should look for in your private time. Seeing that we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. And the sin that does easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this place that you're getting into, a time of refocus and renewal, must be a place where we get our eyes off of ourselves and our problems and conditions and we put our eyes on the Lord. But a lot of times our quiet time is is consumed by the circumstances of our life and we take we're like we're trying to take those to God. Oh God fix these circumstances in my life. With quiet time at the very beginning is a place to refocus 
your vision of God and renew your connection to God, irregardless of the circumstances that are happening in your life. We'll get to those later. God will get to those things later, but you've got to focus on God at, this, at, your, at the beginning of your private time. Uh, so a place where we get our eyes off of ourselves, our problems, our conditions, and we put our eyes on the Lord. And it should be a place of refuge, not to run away from responsibilities, but to be strengthened to serve by renewed awareness of God's person, power, and purpose. So we, we need to renew, to refocus our, our look at God and renew our comprehension and understanding of God's person, his power, and his purpose. So that's the first three things, or first two things, these areas. The second two are a time of reevaluation and rearrangement. So private time is where we reevaluate our life and we rearrange our values and our motives and our goals and our attitudes and behavior pattern, our behaviors and our pursuits. We need to readjust these things. We need to make changes if need be. So as we spend quality time alone with the Lord, we often find things such as attitudes and fears and false sources of trust, etc., that need to be rejected and thrown out. So there's some reevaluation, there's rearrangement, and there's really some rejection that needs to take place there. I, okay, this is going on. I look at God and I see God, how strength, how strong He is, how, and what His purpose is. I'm going to reject all of this stuff. And we need to we need to do that sometimes. Um, I know life doesn't. You can't just stop living, but you can reject that for the influence in your life. Um, number t- number three, the third thing, is restraint and resistance. So we must learn in our private time is to deal with ourselves, to restrain and to resist by God's power and his enablement, of course, anything that might hinder our personal walk with God. So we need to restrain what's limiting us, and how do we know what's limiting us? Well, that's part of the per- this, this quiet time is identifying what's keeping me from getting closer to God. What is it that's happening? What is my attitude? What is my focus? What is what what is I'm, what am I trying to get done? Do I even trust God? And those those are questions of restraint and resistance. And, and so we got these six, hopefully, areas that will give us some guidelines of how our how our quiet time ought to evolve. And, and go now. I'm not talking about quiet time where you just read. That that's your time of reading is, and your time of prayer is not quiet time. It's purposeful time. I'm reading, trying to get my reading in. Uh, of course, a lot of times when I got to get my reading in, so that's already changes the focus of what we're trying to do. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Have a term for that. Uh, and so, okay, so pr- pr- public behaviors and private behaviors. Public life naturally consists of efforts for serving, for the labor that you do, for the ministry you're involved in, along with public prayer. Uh, But it's our private time with the Lord that becomes the fountain of supply and support. So, okay, so we prayed this morning together. We pray every time every time we get together. We give everybody an opportunity to pray. Some people take it, some people don't. Uh, But that public prayer should not substitute for your private prayer. And that's what a lot of people do. A lot of Christians, they, well, we pray at church, or the pastor reads the passage, or I'm hearing the message, and so I don't need to, I don't need to get with God on my own. And, and, and that's, a, that's a problem. Because it's our private time alone with God and His Word that nourishes our spiritual life, which in turn governs the outer world of our activities. What you do in your, pre- in your private time with God uh, affects how you do things in the, in, in the, in the world. 
The idea here is that no one can do enough for others if they are always surrounded by others and not going into your own private time. Sometimes we surround ourselves with circumstances, with people, with situations, and then we, we get burdened down by that, but we don't take time to, to get private, and we need to do that. Let me just say this. Don't just also, one other thing, don't just uh, nod to God. A lot of times we give a nod to God. The majority of us spend our life working on the surface issues while ignoring the foundations. You know, uh, we get into education, we learn a trade, we work in homes, work in the home or at our jobs, we build houses, we build things, we buy furniture, we accumulate things, we work at the church, we, reach, we, read the, we teach the word, we serve in many ways. But we, we have to set time aside from all of that to, you know, to be with God alone. We can't just prepare a Bible study. That's, that doesn't work either. Prepare a Bible study is not private time. You may, you may come up with some really cool things, but that's not private time. You may grab a few minutes of reading and quickly run through a prayer list, but if we're not careful, all we're doing is just giving God a little nod. We're nodding to God. Yeah, I, I did my reading today. Yep, 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 I prayed. I prayed in the car on the way to work. You know, that's not private time. You're really private time. You probably shouldn't be driving so why does this become just surface activity anyway, or merely routine? So we, we may be encouraged by the sound of Bible te- by sound Bible teaching, but if it is not reinforced through a personal, private life with God, much of the impact of the sound teaching will be lost. I know, I know. When I first got saved, I'm like, the last that's really cool. I understand it, and I get home, and I was like, what did he say? You know, so the, what, whatever was said is gone, and so there's no meditation on it because it's gone. So because what we really are inside, our goals, our aspirations, our motives, our frustrations, our attitudes, and so they're all self-dependent strategies for living at all, uh, for living all go, they go untouched and they go unchanged because we're not getting private with God. No matter what we are inside, if we aren't, if we aren't dealing with things, we're not changing our life. We remain the same person today that we were maybe five years ago. We're still, we're still the same. The result is our heart will grow hard and become lukewarm, if not downright cold, to God. So with this in mind, that kind of a foundational thing, let's look at a couple of passages that address our need of a powerful private time alone with, with the living God. So let's get along with God, because that's the only way you can be set right. So let's, let's look at an example. i got a couple of examples. One we're going to spend a lot of time in. The other, I'll just mention them for the sake of time. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 17, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 17, verse 1. Actually, we're going to read the first three verses. Now this is Elijah, uh, the Tishbite. 1 Kings. Huh? 1 Kings. 1 Kings. Did I not say 1 Kings? I'm sorry, 1 Kings 17, chapter... Let me do this again. 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 1 to 3. What did I say? Corinthians. Corinthians, yeah. Well, thank you for keeping me in this text. I'm glad you knew what I meant. (laughs) Okay. Let's just read the first three verses of 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 1 to 3. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, 
before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came in unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn, thy, turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherod, uh, that is before Jordan. Let's just stop right there. This is an amazing thing that just occurred right here. And, and I've, I've, I've read First Kings many times and didn't really see it until I started looking at this passage a little in depth. After Elijah's public confrontation with King Ahab, God needed to correct Elijah's thinking. In verse 1, Elijah claimed that his threat of a three-year drought was according to his word, not according to God's word. He referred to God, but it appears that he was pressing his authority, the authority of Elijah's word, instead of the authority of God's word. That's what he said there in verse 1. Um, before whom I stand, therefore shall ye shall not do nor reign these, these years according to my word. Not according to the Lord, but according to my word. In verse 1, Elijah claimed that his threat of a three-year drought was according to his word, and he referred to God, but it appears that he was pressing his authority. The drought is a punishment. It does actually exist. God had already said in Deuteronomy, we won't turn there, Deuteronomy eleven seventeen, 17, uh, that, uh, that a, a, a drought will be a punishment for their disobedience. But this is not God's plan at this point. He's not executing on his judgment like this yet. That's not what he's doing. So as soon as Elijah made the claim, God spoke to him, and he told him two things. God said, okay, Get thee hence, that's the first thing he says, get thee hence, and hide thyself. Now that's key right there. So Elijah, who was a prophet, who was a, who, his ministry was going strong and going well, yet he was off base. He, was, he had not spent enough time with God to know that he was in the wrong. As soon as he made that claim, God said, get thee hence and hide thyself. He needed to correct, God needed to correct some things that Elijah had wrong even if this was probably not what Elijah had expected. Probably he's like, what, what, what did I do wrong? Well, we'll talk about that, what he did wrong. He is a prophet, of course, and he thought that he knew he was supposed to preach and to perform miracles and to be active for the Lord. Isn't that what a lot of us think? We're just supposed to be in service with God all the time, all the time being in service. But God gave no directive for miracles to be done at this time. He didn't say, go tell him that if this, if this happens, this is what I'm going to do. Elijah said, this is what I'm going to do. But God gave no directive. Instead, he gave a command to go and to hide, which is very interesting and illuminating for us in this study. So why is Elijah commanded to go and hide himself? And so this separation that he makes right here reveals a few things. To prepare Elijah by reminding him that all his reliance and strength comes from God, not within himself. That's the thing that he needed to get with God. Get, hide yourself. Private time. Be private right now. Uh, because I need to point out a few things to you, Elijah. Now, we don't know what the conversation they had, because we didn't see that. We don't, it's, not, it's not reserved for us in Scripture. But we can kind of imagine, he's already violated, or he's, he's stolen God's authority by saying, my word is how the, this is going to happen, instead of saying, this is what God is going to do, because God didn't say yet, I'm going to do this. He did say, I'll do this, but not right now. So, he wanted to remind him that all his reliance and strength comes from God, not within himself. So what we, what we need to recognize in this 
Because being busy for the Lord can drive us into being self-sufficient rather than leaning on God. We can become self-sufficient. Or we can presume we're self-sufficient. That we don't need God because I've got... I mean, I'm a prophet, by the way. I can do anything. I can just say it and it's okay. Well, that was a problem because he was wrong. People who are constantly active have a hard time grasping their need to take private time with the Lord. We get so busy sometimes. We're so active sometimes. We're so focused on what we're doing that we lose track. When's the last time I got together with God? And so that's where that's where Elijah was at. He needed time alone with God and away from the difficulty of his ministry, trying to change others in his own strength. He needed to get away from that. Spiritually speaking, time alone with God is where we are nourished. That's a, I think that's a blank for you. We are nourished on his word and have time to think on the Lord. So our, our private time becomes a place where God can work on our character and separate our hearts from the world. Now we need, we all need this. We need time alone with God. First to know and to love Him. We always need to, we need to have that time where we get to know God closer and we get to understand our love for Him and His love for us. And then we can bring order and strength to our inner life, impacting our ministry. Once we kind of get that down, you know, uh, if you just love God, People will know that you would love them too. Well, not really. They got to see it, but your life has to be changed from your time with God when you're show, when you're really loving God. And, and I think from this study that a lot of the things that come out of private time, our quiet time with the Lord, should impact our public time in a way that is relatively significant and probably different than maybe we've ever seen it happen before. We need time alone to, to know him, to love him, and then to bring order and strength into our life, into our ministry. And we do this to allow the Savior control over every area of our life. We need to, we need to let him have control. So let's talk about getting your mind right in your private time. If we want true spiritual success, getting alone with God is not an option. Every Christian needs to have time where they get alone with God. And I, I confess to you that I probably don't get alone with God like this as much as I probably should have been doing. Um, and I, think, I, don't, I don't know if everybody can say that, but I, I will confess that to you, that I'm probably not doing like I should, like I'm even talking about. Anyway, it's, it's a fundamental and key part of God's plan by which his people are strengthened by that which flows from Christ. So, okay, so God told Elijah, go and hide. He said actually several times in, over the next several chapters, he says he said that. Remember, he he, he sent him to the to the creek, uh, to the river. He was there for a long. Then he told him to move on. He told him to move on again. Told him to move on again. Probably the best place to see this conversation that actually the impact that, is, that the quiet time has is in First Kings chapter nineteen. So let's turn over there. <clears throat> So verses 1, and I'm not going to take the time to read the entirety of the chapter. Actually, I really want to just focus on the first 15 to 16 verses. But I'm not going to read them all. Uh, But I will look at verses 1 to 4. Notice that Elijah is still dealing with Ahab. uh, And he departs to sit under a tree. Notice in verse 4. I think it's verse 4. 
verse 3, but, and when he saw that he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey unto the wilderness, he came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, it is enough. Now see, he's really, you know, throwing a pity party here. That's what he's, you know, he's focusing on that, that he just wants to die, because he thought he was doing right, he gets chastised by God, and finds out that he messed up, and he got to get himself right. Um, so he goes and sits under a tree, cries out to God. So we need to have a starting place for privacy, but it can and it will shift. It will change. That private place will change all the time. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to always be the same place. It can be, but it, but it, the point is, get private. And then in verses five to ten, and we won't take your, we won't read that passage. But in five to ten, an angel comes to the tree and leads Elijah to a cave. And then God calls out from the cave and asks him some questions. And this is what, this is the conversation that probably in some similar way should happen with you and me every time we get into our private time with God. It's the first question in verse 9. And he came thither unto the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to, unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Why are you here, Elijah? Uh, I don't know. I guess I thought I messed up, God. I don't know. I don't know what his answer was. Well, I do know what his answer was. He gives it in verse 10. We'll talk about it in just a minute. His answer is this it's a self serving answer. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken the covenant, throw down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Okay, so he's still whining. His answer is self-serving. That was how I would describe it. His answer is self-serving in verse 10. He says, I'm jealous. I'm jealous for the children. And I am the only prophet left. And I'm being hunted to be killed. That's kind of how he describes himself. God's response was a chastising statement. So he's still chastising. He's still dealing with it. Notice he says in verse 11. And, and, and he said, God, this, this is God. Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the, the mountains and break in pieces of the rocks before the Lord. Notice what it said. But the Lord was not in the wind after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire was a still small voice. So standing there, he's trying to listen for God's voice. He's trying to hear. He's trying to do what we've talked about, those six areas that he's focused on, or he's trying to be focused on. He's trying to do it, and he's listening. But uh, he didn't hear God in the wind. He didn't hear God in the earthquake. He didn't hear God in the fire. But he finally heard the voice in verse 12, uh, and there's a small voice. But notice in verse 13, a question is asked by this voice. At the end of verse 13, he says, what doest thou here, Elijah? It's the same question as in verse 9. What doest thou here, Elijah? What are you here for? What? He's, he's trying to get Elijah to pay attention to what is taking place right now. And this is what our quiet time should actually look like. What are you doing here? Why are you here? And, you know, okay, so maybe we say some things wrong. God will get us right, get our heart right, and so on. And so, um, but notice in verse 14 his answer. And he said, I have been very jealous of the, for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken 
the covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Did you notice that verse 14 is exactly the same as verse 10 except for one word? Anybody know what that word, the difference of the two, two words that are different? In verse 10, the word for the children. And in verse 14, because the children. And it changes the whole heart of, of, of Elijah. His heart has changed because of us. He's finally heard from God. He's realizing some things. God's asking him these questions. And he's, and he's realizing that his first answer was wrong. His second answer here is, uh, is even though it's exactly the same, the difference between verse 10 and verse 4, or verse 13, um, verse 10 is his, his power, and in verse 13 is God's power. That's kind of what he's realizing. It's not my power, he's thinking. It's God's power. In verses 15 to 16, this is what God does to him. And the Lord says unto him, Go, return unto thy way. Go back to ministry. Go back to ministry and return on thy way unto the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Okay, now now you can serve. Now you can do the things that you need to do. And so this is a powerful example of the way private time should work with us and why we should make time to be alone with God. See, I think what's happening here, and I don't have notes in my notes, but I have a notes in my Bible here because I've looked at this many times in the past. Um, Elijah un- finally understands that God uses him instead of him using God. That's where a lot of times we use God the way we want to use God instead of recognizing that God is using us. We should just let him work through us. And so it's an important thing. I think that the reason... As I looked at this several years ago, looking at the difference between the word for the children and because the children. That's what I got out of it. And then he got, uh, gave him a vision and sent him back to work in verses 15 and 16. Okay, so, so there's time. We get, to, we get with God and we, and we think we know what we're doing. This is the problem with a lot of our private times. is We think we know what we're doing. We think we're doing the right thing. We think that we have justification for doing what we're doing. But really, we need to get with God and, and let God ask us the question, what are you doing here? What are you doing? He could have been saying, what are you doing here in this spot? Why are you here? He could have also implied, why are you doing the things you're doing? Both of those kind of, the question is the same, the same words. Why, what doest thou here? Could have been, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing? Not just, why are you in this spot? But what are you doing? And so that's that's a that's an example, uh, I think, of uh, uh, of how a quiet time should look. But let me give you a couple of real quick examples, and then we'll finish up. Uh, another example of taking time to be in private audience with God. In Mark chapter one verse thirty-five, Jesus Christ withdraws to, to be private with God. He said in Mark one thirty-five. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. He spent time in interaction with God. There's other places where Jesus Christ did it as well, Luke 6.12, Mark 6.46, John 6.15, and so many other places where Jesus Christ withdrew himself from the crowd. You can imagine, okay, so so we're so focused on being in front of the crowd I mean, not, not most of us probably are not. I mean, we have that hum, hum, humbleness of, of mind. 
But a lot of people think that I got to be in front of the group. I got to be in front of the crowd, leading them on and getting getting them um, where I think they need to be. But Jesus Christ, many times, he had a crowd of people all over him, following him, chasing him down, wanting him, wanting to touch his garments and so on. But many times he said, I got to leave these people. I got to go and have private time with my father. And that's what that's what's important here. Christ often sought time alone with the Father. And these passages that I meant, they give us another example of the importance of our private world through the life and the priorities of the Savior himself. He prioritized his private time, his quiet time with God. So it's a time of great popularity in a, for Christ when people were clamoring for the Lord's attention and when there, are, where there were all needs all around him. Sometimes he had to ignore the needs, which is, that's hard for us. We don't want to ignore the needs. Sometimes but we need to. So we can be private. He did not become enamored by popularity or preoccupied by the needs pressing against him. Instead, he protected his private time alone with the Father so that he might be and do what God called him to do. That's just like Elijah. Elijah finally got it and God says, now you can go serve. One one more place for us is an example, and I don't have much to say about it, but it's an example. It's Mark 6, verses 30 to 32 where Jesus Christ called his disciples to a remote place. So you're being called all the time. He says, The apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had thought, what they had taught. And he said unto them, So even though they're with God, they're with Christ, and they're telling this is what we did, this is what we did, this is what we did, this is what we said, and so on. He says, Come apart into a desert place and rest away. So even though they were so hyped up on their ministry and the things that they were doing, God says, let's get alone and get quiet. Thank you for what you did, but let's just get alone and be quiet. For there are many coming and going, and there will, they had no leisure to so much as to eat, and they departed into a pleasant, into a desert place by ship privately. Sometimes you just got to get alone with God. No matter how much things are happening in your life, especially in ministry. And so let me just conclude with this, and we'll be done. Our society is full of secular humanism that seeks to live life apart from God through dependence on man alone. And unfortunately, we have allowed that kind of concept to infiltrate our own personal lives and in our own church. This evil mentality has emptied over into the mindset of a Christian community. The best way to counter it is to get along with God in your private time to hear God's thoughts on reaching the world. That's what we need to do. That's that's what we need to do. So that's that's the that's the third mark. Um, we've looked at uh, being full of spirit, being full of the spirit, and being able to influence others as well. So so that's that. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll be done. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you for the example of Elijah, and uh, the example of your son Jesus Christ as well. And when he knew that it was proper and right to to get alone sometimes with with the Father. Uh, no matter what was going on in ministry around him. Uh, if it wasn't for him being with with God the Father, he would not have been able to serve the way he was intending to serve. And so we ask, Father, for your help. Help guide us through our own private time and our own quiet time. Help us to be able to focus on on this, uh, uh, to make it a... a, a active part of our our, ministry, our life an active part of our walk with the Lord and we just thank you for it all in Jesus name Amen Okay
I know I got to do that better. <clears throat> that reminds me, Randy, of um, Psalm 61, too, that says, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than mine. Mm, it's a great verse, but I hear it quoted all the time, and God brought this directly to my attention because people quote it as, When my heart is overwhelmed, I go to the rock that is higher than I think that's what God was talking to Elijah about. You know, yeah. you need to let me lead you. You need to be following. Me exactly. Instead of I go, I'm going to do this in my own strength. Yeah. Too many times we say I a lot. Right. Yeah. And that's how they just change that from lead me to I go. That that's a big difference. So is that like like on a like on a Facebook post or uh, I just I've been in scripture change. So recently I was uh, it was in Greece here. That a woman has used that a couple of times, but both times she said, I go. So I, I haven't looked up other translations. I guess I should. But maybe that person yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah. But the first time I heard it, I thought, oh, I must, I must have misread that word. <laughs> and then I went back and I thought, well, no, God, yes. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, it's good. We had Jamie here and my mom. Good to see you guys. Thanks for checking out and hanging out with us. Love you guys all.